like I said, last week we had gotten down into around chapter, or around verse 10 of chapter 16 last week. But in chapter 16, just kind of give a little review in case you've forgotten or or you wasn't here last week or what have you. Uh, in At the beginning of chapter 16, we find that it, first of all, that it has been 10 years since uh, Abram and Sarah had come to the the land of Canaan. And, uh, and during this time period, uh, there was no son that has been given to, to Abram. And in the, in the chapter prior uh, to chapter 16 and chapter 15, we had found how God had, had told Abram that it was going to be, that he was going to have a child of, of his own flesh and blood, if you will, the, uh, that will be the heir, you know, his heir. And so <clears throat> in chapter 16, we find Sarah uh, uh, coming to Abram and, and suggesting him take her maidservant, Hagar, uh, that, that he may lie with her and, and have a, a child through her. Uh, that she may be able to uh, provide children for him or provide a son for him. And, uh, and as we talked about last week, there was many things that happened here after this had happened. You know, Abram had, had heeded his, his wife's uh, uh, suggestion, his, her suggestion there, and that he had married uh, Hagar. And when Hagar had conceived... Uh, that she became despised, or that Sarah became despised in her eyes, and uh, and there became a great contention in between the two. Uh, and, and Sarah had came to Abram and expressed this, and Abram had told her, said, look, she's your handmaid, you know, just basically backing out of the whole situation, so look, you know, you deal with her. You do what you want to with her. And Sarah had dealt really harshly with Hagar, I mean, to the point to where Hagar just couldn't take it anymore and had left. And uh, when she had left, she had gotten down, <clears throat> like we had talked about last week, she was probably heading down towards Egypt, uh, or down into Egypt, but she hadn't quite gotten there yet. <clears throat> uh, but as she had stopped and rest uh, by a spring here, uh, the Lord had come to her. Uh, it says that the angel of the Lord uh, had had come to her, uh, and we talked last week about that angel, how that that was uh, uh, most likely, at least a lot of people smarter than I am, as Jim would say, uh, the uh, believe that this is uh, the the pre-incarnated Christ. Uh, as being the angel of the Lord, and, and one of the things that Jim and made mention of last week is the reason why many people think that is because of the, the way that he talks on how that, especially in verse 10 here, where he says that I will multiply uh, your descendants exceedingly, uh, showing authority, uh, not just like a messenger in a sense. So, uh, but that's where we're at. We're gotten down uh, you know, in verse 9 there, it talks about how that 
uh, the angel of the Lord told Hagar to return to uh, your mistress Sarah and, uh, and submit yourself unto her hand. And we had gotten down to that point and was getting into verse 10 last week. But any questions or comments uh, up to this point so far? All righty. Well, in verse 10, <coughs> it says, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. All right, so here we have um, <coughs> this angel uh, talking to Hagar and telling her that, that her descendants through Ishmael here will be, um, will be great. They'll be innumerable, ultimately, is what we're getting at here. Going on into verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now, this is a very interesting uh, thought here. As Mike had made mention of uh, last week, we was talking about different aspects here at the beginning of chapter 16 on how that, you know, all they knew is that Hagar was pregnant. They didn't know whether or not she was going to have a boy or a girl or, you know, what, what the sex of the child was going to be. So, and here all of this, all these things were going on, and they didn't know oh, oh, whether or not it was going to be a boy or a girl. <clears throat> until this point right here. And it's at this point is when uh, the Lord tells Hagar that it will be a boy, uh, that she'll bear a son, and even tells her uh, what name she shall call her, call him. But then in verse 12, uh, he goes on and, and continues on with the, and says, he shall be, uh, this is talking about Ishmael, he shall be, a wild man, and his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Here, as we made mention of last week, I can't remember who it was that had said it, but when we think about this, when we think about this passage and how that be a wild man, and every hand shall be against every, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Uh, we had made mention of how that uh, even unto this day, the uh, differences in between uh, Ishmaelites and the Israelites, we can still see that, that contention, you know, that, that hand against them, uh, even, even in this time period. But it was you know, all because of this, this thing that had happened here, on how that uh, Abram had taken Hagar and, and had a child through her, and that's how this was all had all started. And uh, it's just amazing when you sit there and you think about that, and you think about the differences that has happened over there for centuries, and and just dumbfounded by that. But any thoughts or comments on on that aspect there? Right. Right, it's not just a, among the them in general; it's a, among everyone, um, and that is interesting. Uh, in case you didn't hear Jim, he'd made mention of at the end of verse twelve, uh, 
my version, I've got the New King James, and it says, uh, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Uh, Jim says that a lot of the translations actually has against there instead of presence. So instead of it saying, uh, he shall dwell in the presence, it says that he shall dwell against all of his brethren. Well, the idea in the Hebrew says that. All right, it's not just different translations. The idea in the Hebrew. Live in hostility. I, I, that, that's very good when that, with that thought process. Over against all his kinsmen. Is that what it is? In, in the NIV, you said? ESV, ESV. And Karen's got... Yes, absolutely. Very good. I, Karen, you said you, you are the NIV, is that right? <clears throat> hostility. Very good thoughts. I appreciate you all bringing that up. Anything else? All right, well, in verse 13, uh, actually 13 and 14, we have, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, I ha- Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well, were, the well was called Birlahara. Observe, it is between Kadesh and, and uh, Beard. But anyhow, the, uh, the aspect there, the, as far as the Beard, Lahara, I guess is how you'd say that. Oh, but literally, I've got a little footnote in my Bible. It says, uh, "Will of the one, will of the one who lives and sees me." All right, so there you have it. Um, but <clears throat> here, Hagar is showing you know, her thankfulness, her her uh, the the idea here as far as realizing that that. There is someone who is watching after her. There is someone who is, 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 is there. And as he's made these promises unto her as far as your Ishmael and, and what all will happen. And I feel like that's part of the reason on why when she went back to Sarah that she was able to, to submit herself a little bit more to, to her to where there wasn't that contention so much there. I'm sure there was... Uh, some contention there to some extent, and it might have grew weaker as the time gone on. I don't know, but we don't really read about it. I find it interesting, though, and I'm going to bring this up later on, where I was, but now I'll bring it up now, that you know, at the beginning of verse six, or chapter 16 here, we had 10 years since the time that Abram and Sarah had gotten to the land of Canaan, and at the end of verse, or at the end of chapter 16, Toward the beginning of chapter 17, we find that there is a 13-year gap here. All right, so you got 10 years, and you got this going on, and then 13 years uh, after that, we find uh, the next chapter. Anyhow, I just thought that was interesting uh, because we don't we don't know of what all else had happened in between uh, these time periods, as far as when Hagar had came back to Sarah <coughs> or anything else. But to finish it out, it says that. Uh, in, in verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. 
Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right, so one aspect that I wanted to point out here is that just because it says that Abram named uh, the son Ishmael doesn't mean that that was you know, his idea, that that was you know, the thought that he had, but yet this was uh, what the Lord had said that his name was going to be. So the Lord was the one that ultimately named Ishmael, not uh, Abram himself. So just thought I'd bring that out. Um, and like I said, we got that time stamp going on uh, in verse 16 where it says that Abram was 86 years old. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 17, it talks about how the Abram was 99 years old in the next chapter, so you got a 13-year gap here. But any thoughts or comments as we close out chapter 16? All right, chapter 17, first couple of verses says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between you, me and you <clears throat> and will multiply you exceedingly. All right, as I'd made mention of, here we have 13 years in between these two chapters. We have in, at the end of chapter 16, uh, Abram having a child, having a son uh, through Hagar named Ishmael. And at the very beginning here <clears throat> of chapter 17, we have uh, the Lord coming to Abram and saying that I am going to uh, multiply uh, you exceedingly. All right, so we've got this thought going on, and, and I'm sure at the beginning, <clears throat> Abram might not have thought a whole lot about this, thought, all right, well, we've got Ishmael here, and going to continue to you know, multiply him. <clears throat> but you know, as we see later on, we've got another thought process going on here. <clears throat> another interesting aspect that we have going on that I thought was, was neat when I was reading the commentary on this says that this is the fourth time <coughs> that we know of, that we read about, that the Lord has come to Abram. Um, so fourth time here, um, and when he does this, he starts off by saying, walk before me and be blameless. Uh, the idea of walking before him, uh, what I would read on that was uh, would be to have to have submissive obedience to a superior. All right, so, and the fact this is God talking and says, "Be blameless," or walk before me, be blameless to be to have submissive obedience unto God, um, and to be blameless would be to uh, walk according to what He would have you to do to obey. Yes, Jim. And El Shaddai, would that be uh, where it talks about Almighty God? Yes. Is that what you're right? Yep. Verse 2, he, he's, he's, God's coming to him and says, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Uh, as I said, you know, or as Jim was making mention of here, here's 13 years um, and could have been some kind of ritual that, that might have been going on. You're, don't know for sure exactly the, the aspects of what might have been going on at this, this particular time. Uh, 
in this culture, but in the Jewish cultures nowadays, they'd have some kind of a, a ritual as far as him becoming a man or what have you at the age of 13. But anyhow, Lord coming up and saying, I will multiply you exceedingly. Uh, but in verse 3, I think it's interesting how that it says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. Uh, here we have Abram uh, falling on his face, and, and the only way I can see this as far as uh, this the idea here is Abram falling on his face is just reverence. Uh, uh, as he falls on his face and God talking with him, uh, showing God the reverence that, that he should have unto him. But in verses uh, 4 and 5, as God is talking with him, saying, uh, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you for for I have made you a father of many nations. Um as in it's interesting because there's two different things that I usually look at in between uh when I'm going over these the 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 verses here. And in one aspect uh, I have one one thing that's telling me says, well, you know, Abram meant exalted father, to where Abraham meant father of many. So, all right, sounds good. But then uh, another commentary that I had read had made mention that you know, the the exact significance here between the two name changes was uncertain. So I'm like, well. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to take this, but when God had points out that he had made him a father of many nations, and the fact that he is changing his name to Abraham makes you believe that the significance here was uh, was the as- aspect that he's changed his name because he's, made, he's making him a father of many nations. So I kind of like the idea that the one I'd read talking about Abram meaning uh, exalted father, and Abraham meaning father of many. So just little side notes there for you. Verses 6 and 7 says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to be God to you and your descendants after you. <clears throat> All right, so here we have God. <clears throat> and if you remember, this isn't the first time <clears throat> that God's come to him. Like I said, this is the fourth time that we have God coming to him. But this isn't the first time God's come to him and, and told him that you know, his descendants will be great and that you know, he's going to give his descendants this land and what have you. But <clears throat> as we're going to find out here in a minute, this will be the first time uh, that God's going to come to him and, and make this covenant with him to where he's going to give a responsibility unto Abraham uh, in, in what he is to do here. But in verses 6 and 7 here, as he talks about the, um, he will exceed, you know, 
make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations and kings uh, that shall come from you. We, we ultimately have the coming of Christ uh, through his descendants, which is, in reality, when you boil it down to, to what's really going on here is we have a separation of a genealogy for the coming of Christ. Uh, so we always need to keep that in mind when we think about all these things and the, and the nation here uh, from Abraham is that this is basically setting it all apart uh, for the coming of Christ. Any thoughts or comments before we get into verse 8? And I'm going to get into the, uh, well, let's just go on and read verse 8. It says, Also I give you, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All right. So here we have, uh, once again, God telling him, telling Abraham now um, that he's going to give this land, the, the land of Canaan, to his descendants. Uh, this land that he is now a stranger in, this is going to be a, a land for his descendants. Um, but one thing that I want to, to, to try to point out here is, and I can't remember, it seems like there was, but it, where it says, as an everlasting possession, uh, right there in verse 8, does everybody have everlasting there? Does other translations have something else? Absolutely. That's what I was trying to, I was going to point that out as well. Um, And the reason, and I wanted to point that out because even today we'll have people that will get up and say, well, that's the the promised land. You know, that's the, the land of the Israelites, you know, forever and ever. But as Jim had had said that the Hebrew word here is olam, or olam, however you pronounce that, O-L-A-M. And in certain Old Testament passages, we may see it uh, translated as uh, eternally or or eternal or what have you. Uh, But I tell you, man, when I had pulled up the program I have at, at home and pulled up that word olam, it talks about all the different words that it can translate into. Now, man, you got to look at the list of different translations or different words that that translates into. But anyhow, just to point out uh, a couple of things, in verse 13, and I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here, I'm just wanting to point this out and make sure that we understand that just because it says as an everlasting possession that that word olam uh, does not necessarily mean everlasting. Because in verse 13, it talks about uh, circumcision and how that it will be an everlasting covenant. But we know that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, in, in Paul's writing, it says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Um, there was another passage I'd read. I want to say it was in First uh, Corinthians. I think maybe it was Second Corinthians. I can't remember 100% now. I didn't mark it. Um, 
that pretty much says the same exact thing uh, as far as the circumcision goes. But so we know that that's not an everlasting thing that's going to be you know, going on and on. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28, uh, we have that same word olam being referenced as ancient, uh, where it says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Uh, also in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 15, it's translated ancient as well. Uh, and it's the, the reason why I'm pointing that out as far as it being translated into ancient versus everlasting is because if the same word olam uh, would mean everlasting, then that means that the ancient nation uh, of Babylon, which was going to take over uh, the le- the the land of Canaan, ultimately with the Israel, you know, take the Israelite nation into captivity, uh, it's definitely not going to be an everlasting nation um, because it was also overtaken. But ultimately, when we go down and we look at it, we find out that. Um, the Israelites ultimately becoming worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, as we see in Ezekiel 16 and verse 48. Uh, the nation was brought into captivity uh, by the Babylonians and taken away. If you look into uh, Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, both of them makes reference to how that if they did not uh, follow the law and did not fear the awesome name of the Lord uh, your God, then they, then one of the things that would be taken away is their land. So just throwing all that out there. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's got a point of end. But very good. The, the word olam would be a stint of time. Um, so just wanted to point that out and get that out there because that is something that a lot of people get hung up on. Uh, even in today's culture. Verses 9 through 11. And God said to Abraham, As far as you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. All right, like I made mention of, this is the point where we get uh, to where God gives Abraham uh, something to do. You know, it's, it's his part of the covenant. Now, this is not the only thing that God's going to, uh, established for for Abraham or the Israelite people to do, but this is just the first one that we have mention of as far as uh, man's part of the covenant. But real quick, in verses 12 through 14, we see, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with your money must be circumcised. 
And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised uh, in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut, cut off from the people. He has broken my covenant. So we find that on the eighth day of child's life uh, is when this procedure should be done. It's when uh, they should they should be taken and, and, and be circumcised. Uh, but also, you know, any male that, that Abram's either bought or um, or uh, his their servants have been had a child through uh, in his house or what have you, anyone uh, of of that is a male uh, is to be circumcised, and this is uh, upon you. Know, they're a part of this covenant. But one thing that I'd found out a few years ago, which I thought was very interesting and just wanted to uh, share it with you guys as well. Any of y'all ever thought about why the eighth day? Why is it the eighth day that um, God says you know, for the children that have just, just been born to wait eight days before they are circumcised? Absolutely, absolutely. Medically, uh, the uh, eighth day of a child's life is when the vitamin K is at its peak. Um, and that's why God had, had made reference to you as far as the eighth day this should, should be done. And uh, I just thought that was so interesting. And, you know, something that I'd never really thought about, I, and I'd heard uh, Brad Harib was the one that, had, that I had heard make mention of that. And just one of those thoughts out there, you know, just showing you how awesome God is and the aspect that he knows everything about us because he created us. And that, you know, the knowledge of, of it being the eighth day uh, is going to be the best day to do it. That's why he gives that command. And just in case you're wondering, or if you don't know, the reason why they can do that uh, before eight days now is because they give them a shot of vitamin K before the surgery. So we are out of time. But well, I was tempted, but I don't know. we'll just wait till next week. But thank you for your comment, comments and attention this morning.